Do you think arbitrage is a thing of the past? Today, we're going to talk to a seller who did over $2 million on arbitrage sales alone last year, and he has people in his community who have done over $6 million. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. What was your gross sales yesterday, last week, last year? More importantly, what are your profits after all your cost of selling on Amazon? Did you pay any storage charges to Amazon? How much did you spend on PPC? Find out these key metrics and more by using the Helium 10 tool, Profits. For more information, go to h10.me forward slash profits. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I am your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show. That's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the Amazon or Walmart world. And we got a first on uh, for the show today. Like, I literally did not pers- did not know this person existed more than two hours ago, and I was just in, in a conversation with, with somebody else who's been on the podcast before, Andy. And Andy was telling me this story. I was like, you got to introduce me to this guy. This, this sounds interesting. I want to find out. And then I was like, you know what? Why wait? I'm about to go for about three weeks to the Philippines and other places. So let's record this uh, episode right away. I slid into his uh, Facebook Messenger DMs. I'm like, hey, you down to come on the podcast to tell your story? And two hours later, here we are recording. So th- this is, uh, we're moving fast here, uh, Gary. How's it going? Yeah, we're, we're definitely flying without a parachute here. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, let's talk about your uh, backstory. You're in uh, Kentucky now. Is that where you were born and raised? That is correct. Yeah, I was born in Louisville, live in South Central Kentucky near Bowling Green, the home of the Corvette. So okay. uh, we're, we're big Corvette enthusiasts around here. Uh, go to college around there? No, did not. Went straight out of high school, went into the insurance business. I own an insurance agency, and I've, I'm still in that business. So that's been... I'm soon what to kind be of 60. Insurance? Uh, mostly health insurance, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of Medicare supplement insurance and so on. And I, and I have a, an agency of agents that live in different states and work. And uh, started at that at a young age, built a team. And, you know, that's how I've always made a living. And then we got into the Amazon business about seven years ago, just by sheer chance through Facebook one night. My wife was, uh, we were empty nesters and she was very bored, so to speak. And I always said if I could find a job where she could make a living, uh, shopping, we'd get rich because she's a fantastic deal finder. Uh-huh. And so we stumbled into arbitrage and that's been about six and a half years ago. Okay. So it wasn't necessarily out of like need, like your business, you're, you're making decent enough money. You were in that industry for, for, yeah. for decades. Uh, it was almost like a fun thing to, to get started in. Yeah, exactly. We, like I said, we were empty nesters. We have five yeah. children and 11 grandchildren. So Wow. All right. Congrats on that. Now, okay. So arbitrage and, you know, we've got a lot of people who understand what private label is, but just for those who who don't understand what the word arbitrage means in the Amazon sense of things, can you just explain that a little bit, what you guys were into? uh, And I'm actually in the private label uh, business too. I have a separate Amazon account that's private label as well. Arbitrage is simply, if you think about it, arbitrage is like a local way of doing what Walmart does. And that is where Walmart will go to China, uh, like I've been to EWU, China. If you go to EWU and you go to the world's largest marketplace for for private label to try to find ideas, and Walmart goes there and they find things and they sell them in their stores. Well, arbitrage is simply the process of doing the same thing locally. You do it at Walmart stores, Target stores, Kohl's stores, or you can do it online. Like for example, last year, 
with mine and my wife's arbitrage account, we did uh, about 2.6 million last year, which I think that'll probably show there on the screen. Uh, and almost all of that that we did last year was uh, online arbitrage. And online arbitrage, to drill on that a little bit, is mm-hmm. where you make purchases from retailers, whether it's Sierra Trading Club or whoever it is, Walmart, Target, Coles, whatever, and sell it on Amazon. And it's normally like at the, it's a very special item, something that's extremely popular, or it's something that's into the life cycle. And so because nationally they're running out of it, then people then need, I'll give you an example. The first year we started selling, this will blow your mind, we sold a little better than 15,000, I believe it was, fly strips, if you can imagine that. Wait, because there's what, a what yeah, that? fly fly, you know, like a fly that lands yeah. on you, a pest that bugs you. Okay. Fly strips. And that's fly strips that you hang up and like, Oh, and then they stick to it and get, get, get correct. stuck. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And if you can imagine that now, and so arbitrage is simply the ability to find stuff and sell it on Amazon. And most of the time when you go on Amazon to buy shirts, jeans, shoes, things of this nature, you're buying it from sellers like us. There's obviously mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of us out there that do it. We do it through FBA. So we don't do merchant fulfill very much. Nevertheless. Okay. Let's take it back a little bit to, to when you got started. What were you uh, into back in back when you first started those? I believe you said it was like seven or so years ago. Was it yeah, was it retail arbitrage? Was it online arbitrage? Or what was your? Do you remember retail. what your first purchase uh, was? The very, very first thing she bought on Memorial Day weekend seven years ago, and it was some high end purses at a high end department store in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And you simply scan it. With a scanning app you have on your phone, scan the barcode. It tells you what it's selling for on Amazon. You see what the store has its uh, sales price for. Put that in your scanning app. Immediately, it tells you what you're going to make on it. That's it. Okay. All right. Now, what what were your you know gross sales like in those first few years uh, d- d- using that method? Yeah. The uh, the very first 100 day. Now, we had no previous e-rail. You know, most of the people you're used to dealing with, extremely high-end tech savvy and so on. We Mm. were very average in our tech. I mean, like I said, my background's in the insurance business. So our technology experience was probably average. And so so we weren't probably as technology savvy as as most people would be. But our first 100 days, we sold $117,000 worth. And that was from zero to that. Like I said, we had never even sold anything on eBay or anything of that nature. And then at the end of the first year, I think we sold 700000 And we've been over a million every year. And like I said, this past year, we were at $2.6 million. And again, this is kind of like a side hustle for us. What? Primarily what we do now is my wife and I, we do not buy the product. We don't physically touch. We don't even see it. It comes in. We have people that buy it. We have people that ship it. We simply make the spread. And it's the same thing a a person that would own a restaurant or a hotel or anything else. They have employees that do the work and they make the spread. And that's what we do currently with the Amazon business. So now in those first couple of years, though, were you all doing it by yourselves? Like you were yeah. the ones physically going yeah. to stores and then we, shipping yeah. stuff to Amazon stuff. Yeah. She absolutely loves doing it because she just loves to deal fine. And we were probably in it. Um, I'm going to say Bradley, we was probably in three months when I started seeing, okay, there's some real money to be, or for me anyway, real money to be made. And we've never made under a hundred thousand a year. Last year we made almost 215,000 off of just our arbitrage account, not our PL account. And, uh, where I'm from, I'm, I'm, a poor boy. I'm a country boy by, by birth. So those kind of numbers were just 
you know, unbelievable for us that we could be doing that as a side hustle. But at first it was retail arbitrage. And the reason we got into online arbitrage was I had a lot of downtime, Bradley, when I would be in my office working. And I thought, boy, if there was a way that I could buy during my boring downtime here, doing my insurance work, I could. Mm -hmm. So I got into buying lists, which now I'm a huge believer in buying uh, what's called OA fines list, where you pay somebody to provide you with a list. You simply go down that list and make purchases if things meet your criteria. Uh, it, it just speeds up the process so much. I, there's a difference between nickel work and dollar work, and I'm a big believer of learning the difference between the two. So I started purchasing lists because it allowed me to skip the nickel working, progress to the dollar work. And the dollar work is actually buying product, not researching, but buying product. And so we started doing that. So three months into it, we hired our first prep and ship person, uh, a, a stay-at-home mom who needed to work. So she went to work for us. She prepped and shipped our products, sent it to Amazon. So we stopped the prepping and shipping then. And then after a couple of more years, we stopped the buying and had all of our buying farmed out as well. So then did these people come in already knowing it, like like you hired people who are in this industry or you just took people who are looking to make some money and you said, all right, this is what you need to do. You provide us with this. We're going to show you how to do it. Yeah, exactly. You can do it both ways. I actually have a retail arbitrage buyer now that is also a seller and this person lives in St. Louis and this particular person knows because they are a seller. The other five part-time OA buyers, they work from home buying off of list. They have no Amazon experience at all. They don't even have Amazon accounts. We simply have a criteria, the software that they use. They go through and make the purchases listed on a buy sheet. Uh, when they make the purchases showing the quantity, the price they paid for it, order number and so on. And then our prep and ship people, they then ship it to Amazon. Okay. What, what are some of that criteria? Because, you know, now you're, you're, you're adding different layers. So, you know, when you're doing yourself, you pretty much like it's, it's maybe yeah. easier to know how you can make money. Cause it's like, all right, I know what I'm buying this. I know what I'm selling it. But now you've got like, okay, we've got, you've got staff that you're having to pay and you've got shipping and, and things like that. So like, what, what, how, how do you know, uh, what's your line for like, what's that, profitable? That's an excellent, excellent question. When we started doing it ourselves, our minimum ROI on an item was 30% because mm -hmm. we weren't paying wages. So yeah. we could buy something at 30%. And if it's so 30 to 20 to 15%, we're still making good money as it rolls our money. Cause we're a big believer in money in motion. I always keep it moving. And then when we started adding employees, I had to start raising that minimum of 30 up, up, up. So okay. our minimum ROI on a purchase right now is 45% minimum ROI at the time we make the buy or $6 minimum profit on that item. We only buy things that are in the top 1%, Bradley. So we don't buy things that are in the top 2 or 3 4 5%. Conversely, when you're in private label, you can sell stuff that's in the top 2 or 3%, make great money. But in sure. arbitrage, that doesn't work. You really need to stay in the top 1%. Okay. All right. Now let's talk about what I think a lot of people are, are worried about sometimes whenever we're talking wholesale, drop shipping, arbitrage, people are worried about, you know, getting those like inauthentic claims and stuff like that. Um, and, and a lot, regardless if the inauthentic claim is bogus or not, obviously you guys are not selling any inauthentic products, but that doesn't stop somebody from reporting. And then Amazon saying, Hey, you got to prove that this is legit or not. So like what is happening in 2022 as far as that goes? Like is Amazon accepting, you know, just retail receipts and things like that as proof that it's legitimate or or what's your experience with in that regard? 
We have we deal with it all the time. We had last year of the 2.6 million arbitrage that we sold. I believe we had 12 IP complaints. Uh, our account never did get in jeopardy or never in yellow state in the good uh, rating all the time, the little slide thing. It goes from green mm-hmm, to red. Mm-hmm. Um, and when those come in, simply provide documentation. And there are even attorneys out here that do this. We actually have an attorney on retainer. We pay a small monthly fee to, and we can give that person our receipts, and they write to Amazon what needs to be done. They'll even contact the merchant that filed it and asked the merchant to remove it, proving to the merchant it is legit. And about half the merchants will voluntarily remove it once they see it is legit. And then the other half don't. And with those half, we work with Amazon to get it removed. If they aren't removed, they roll off your account automatically in 180 days. And our experience has been, Bradley, if you address these, Amazon is very favorable and there does there's not any penalty that comes to a a seasoned account seller like us, somebody that's yeah. that's mid-level or seasoned, Amazon knows and your history is there. And as long as you deal with the IP complaints, you don't have any problem. The fact that an, an IP claim is filed of any type does not mean that you're doing anything wrong. It simply means, again, I'm private label also. It simply yeah. means the brand owner wants to make sure it is legit. Once you prove the legitimacy of it, then you're fine. And you know, if these are being bought in store, or um, online, so all I mean, pretty much, I would assume the only proof you have is, is like the, those retail receipts. And is that That's enough, where you actually have to have pictures of all those products and things like that, no, and like no, lock trays and stuff? Norm, normally, okay. the receipts uh, suffice. Some stores have fantastic paperwork; some do not. Now, a lot of your deep discount stores, like TJ Maxx, Marshalls, and some of them. Now, some of them, what we do is we take a picture. Uh, at the time of sending the product to Amazon of the items. And some of us have cameras set up, which real quick, some of us just do it with our phones. You take a picture of the item with the receipt, you submit that if there ever is an IP claim. But again, I'm going to repeat some. Out of 2.6 million last year, we only had 12 times this had to happen. So it's a very minor, minor issue. I I feel, um, to be candid with you, I feel it's much more bigger as a fear factor in people than it is in reality. Because legitimately, it just is not a big deal. It's something minor. It's like, you know, the cost of doing business. It's just something you do. I had another private label seller that caused me more trouble on a private label item of mine than I ever, and I lost a lot of money over that, than I ever have with arbitrage in seven years. Hmm. Okay. What, what about, um, are you doing anything with like liquidations or, or things or everything is strictly buying retail, either online or in person? Now, liquidation buys, those are the kinds that are dangerous, at least in my opinion, which obviously I'm entitled to. So myself and Gay Lisby, we are always encouraging, especially new sellers, to stay away from the liquidation, the whole pallet thing and so on. Because if you get an IP claim filed, you don't have good legitimate paperwork to prove Mm, a chain of ownership. And then you can get your account suspended. So we don't do liquidations or anything. Everything we do is just online arbitrage where Best Buy or somebody's running a sale or retail arbitrage. Okay. All right. Excellent. Um, what are some like, you know, hiccups along the way, you know, you've been in this game more than 98% of the people probably who have been doing this. What are some of the, the, if you had to do it over, like you would have done it again or some hiccups or some mess ups along the way that you or your team made that maybe somebody listening out there who's just getting into this can, can learn from your mistakes. 
I think probably the biggest mistake that we made was not seeing the opportunity fast enough and leaving so much money on the table. Now, in the insurance business, I've been very good about not doing that. I've always been able to train my insurance agents to see the stitches on the fastball, so to speak, and play ahead of the curve. But in the Amazon space, again, I was older when I got into it. So I I wasn't as technology-versed as you would be or many of your listeners would be. So I had more of a simplistic mutual fund approach to what I did. And by mutual fund, I'll say this. I used to trade stocks and futures. Absolutely loved it. Lost a ton of money doing it as well. But I would love to be trading it right now with the oil doing what it's doing. Because there's some things I'd like to do. But it's like a gambling addiction for me playing that stuff. Made money, (laughs) lost money doing it. So I brought a lot of that bad experiences over to the Amazon marketplace. So one of the things that I coach and teach people on in Amazon Seller Tribe is I teach people on build your store like a mutual fund, make it shallow and wide. We all know that in this, in this stock market, a mutual fund or EFTs, they are, uh, or ETFs, I should say, they, they are the safest form of investing in a stock market to where you own 1% of this or 2% of this or 0.7% of that. So we build our Amazon stores the same way. We have toys, uh, supplements, blue jeans, electronics, computers, everything under the sun, ink pens. I mean, it could be whatever that you're selling on there. So we're really big on the shallow and wide approach and the mutual fund approach to this. And it makes it a lot more secure. The biggest mistake I made was it took me a while to get truly confident. I believe in proof of concept. I'll put it that way. Once a person has proof of concept on it, they need to take the shot. And I got proof of concept probably after like the first 15, 16 months. And it took me longer to really launch and take the shot. And when I did, we went from 100000 to 200000 in income after all employee wages, cardboard tape, workers' comp, electricity, everything. After all expenses, that is absolutely net when I say that. Again, I function accounting-wise more like a businessman and less like a, a pitcher or a, or a hypester, somebody trying to yeah. make big numbers. And I know $2.6 million making 214000 is not that impressive to people. It's very impressive to me when I'm listening to a businessman that says, uh, I've got all the expenses, everything's there, even the losses, yeah. returns, everything is there. And it's not and like they, you're, you're putting 40 hours a week into this either. Actually, we're not. We got buyers yeah. and shippers. We simply monitor mm-hmm. the back mm-hmm. end of it, and uh, it's just that simple. So the biggest mistake I made was when proof of concept came, I didn't scale up. We've got somebody in Amazon Seller Tribe, totally arbitrage, Bradley. And three years ago, they were 700000 a year. And this past year, they hit $6 million. And this is all arbitrage. And only arbitrage. Only arbitrage, yeah. Now, that's somebody that's proof of concept. They know the stitches on the fastball. They square up and they swing. And they drive it out of the park. And so when proof of, see, some people's proof of concept is very reasonable. And some people's proof of concept is so unreasonable, they they demand a bacteria count on the milk of human kindness. I mean, you just can't never convince them. Then people are like they're raised on a lemon and winged on a pickle. I mean, everything, they just see. Hey, hey guys, I hope you're taking down some of these sayings here. Does it remind me? I, I love these sayings. Whenever I meet somebody from the, from the South, we get these cool sayings. There's like a, three of them a minute here. So are you going to be, hey, I got a new product idea. You can make a, um, like, what do you call it? Kindle, KDP book on on some uh, good sayings, uh, illustrations, and things thank you can use. I love it. I love it. Keep going. Keep going. No, thank you very much. Here's another one. Don't ever use a fly to kill a shotgun. 
Okay. Don't ever mm-hmm. use your shotgun to kill a fly. Sorry, kill a fly. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I heard that one a long time ago. I thought it was hilarious. But seriously, some people are so cynical, they're so negative that them getting proof of concept is very difficult. And I'm I'm kind of not that way. I've, I've uh, just always kind of been a natural optimist, kind of person that would go after Moby Dick in a rowboat and take a tartar sauce with me. I just want to believe that I can achieve. Now, I may not. I'm very average. Never been to college. And everything I've learned, I've learned in business. I've learned by associating myself with people that were smarter than I was. But I do believe when you get proof of concept, swing. And for many yeah. people, they never get proof of concept because they're so cynical. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, I, I think there's a lot of people out there who who can see that hey, you can you can make a sustainable um, you know business just doing arbitrage. But I would think the majority of the listeners here, um, the biggest benefit for them are maybe the ones who are really really. Uh, interested in getting into private label, but they don't have the capital. And then exactly. arbitrage is kind of like that gateway drug to get there. So let's say I've got a typical, there's one of our hundred thousand listeners out there. Um, hey, you know, I, I want to do private label in, in a year or so. You know, I want to get about, you know, five to 10 grand together for that four grand, three or whatever. I've got four or 500 bucks right now saved up, you know, that I can spend. How, what should I do? You know, obviously at that level, I'm not sure the buying list and things like that is, is the way to go, but, but what's an easy way with four or 500 bucks to start get the cash, getting the cash flow moving for a online arbitrage? Number one, I'll say this. My partner, Gay Lisby says this all the time, never eat your seed. So just understand that if you're starting with a limited amount of capital, whether that's 2000 or 500, whatever that is, as yeah. you make money, do not take that money and go reward yourself, which a lot of times mm. we Americans love to do. We're mm-hmm. probably the spendingest society in the world. So we love to reward ourselves. So if you're trying to build your pot, your nest, and make it larger and larger and larger, you can't eat your seed, as the Indians would say in days of old. So mm-hmm. just as you start making money, number one, don't eat your seed. Number two, how would you do this? You would go to Walmart or Target. Everybody has those available. I will give you a little tip. Your rural Walmarts or Walmarts that are in areas where there's less people or less money, those Walmarts typically have better deals than Walmarts that are in the nicer parts of town. So like if my wife today was going to go out retail arbitraging, we have, she knows this because we've done this for so many years, but here where we live at in Kentucky, she knows certain Walmarts, she wouldn't even waste her time to pull in a parking lot. She'd drive right by them to drive 30 miles farther out to go to a rural Walmart where she could find five times as much stuff. So that's a little bit of a gold nugget there. Anytime you're sourcing retail arbitrage, places that have fewer people or fewer or less money in that particular culture is going to have bigger discounts and more things there. But as you, so that would be number two. Number three would be as you buy those items at those store, never go deep on stuff. Absolutely don't do that. Do not put all your eggs in one basket. Remember, in other words, like if they're, don't go getting, Spending all five hundred dollars on one sk- or oh, on one product, not. Okay. absolutely okay. not. Which mm-hmm. see that that's conversely that's the opposite of what we do in a private label space. Yeah, there, uh-huh. yeah. And, and again, I do that over there as well. So I'm not as good at that as I am the arbitrage. But yes, definitely want the mutual fund approach. Definitely want to spread it out. It's safer that way. Now it's less sexy. It's less exciting, but it is better that way. So if you go into a, a clearance aisle of a Walmart and you see those yellow stickers, you start scanning, and there's six of them on the shelf. And they're $9.99 and they're selling on Amazon for $53. And there's 12 of them on the shelf. Don't buy all 12 of them if you've got $500. You yeah. buy like four or five of them. Then you go find another uh, item and you buy two or three of it. 
as you're getting started, that is by, because what you need is confidence. You need proof of concept. You need to be able to have some success so that you feel like, hey, this really does work. You can go to the food department. There's certain foods and spices. There's certain things at Walmart and and big grocery stores that you can find every day of the week that you can find them there just simply by scanning. Uh, My wife recently went to the grocery and she had time and she came back home with enough product, not that she needed to do it. She just, it's just fun. She just enjoys it like playing a crossword puzzle or chess. And she came back home with enough product to pay for the entire grocery bill that she had for us because she just knows how to do that. And she just sees opportunity, scans it. Yep. It's profitable and you buy it. So anyway, that's the three fastest ways to scale at this. But number one is don't eat your seed. Number two, go to big box retail stores. And then number three, don't go too deep on things when you find them. Okay. Now that's a big mistake. That number three is actually a big mistake by new people. They go too deep. And then Amazon comes on the listing two days later or whatever, and you're stuck with too much of it. So you don't want to do that. Okay. Now, you know, regardless if it's Walmart, Target, wherever I'm going, are you just going there and then going up and down aisles or are you looking at their, their mailers or, or their specials no, beforehand? No, no, so you know what yeah. you're looking for or what? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Thank you. Um, don't look at the mailers. Again, that's nickel work. It just takes so much time. I mean, you could. I've done mm-hmm. it before, but I've never really found it. They're, they're great deals normally are clearance items. It's not even on sale items. It's clearance items. And that's where the big discounts are. Walmart's liable to sell. I used to buy and sell laptops, all I could find from Walmart. I mean, literally would buy 10, 15,000 a day in laptops from Walmart when they would clearance these things. And so when you find those things, you would buy a shopping cart full of laptops because there was such a high demand for them. Now, you know, a person would say, yeah, you're buying those laptops and people there can't buy them. Well, you could buy them and people in other countries would be buying them. And the reason that that store has so much of them it's because nobody's at that store is buying them. And that's why yeah. Walmart has them. That's why they're marking them down. So just because a store in Kentucky has an, uh, a surplus of it, when a, a Walmart in New York, they sold out two months ago, two days after they got them. So see, that's the beauty of arbitrage. It takes where there's local uh, overabundance of product and puts it on a national marketplace like Amazon to where it can be sold everywhere. We've literally had people in Saudi Arabia to buy Barbie dolls. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. because they can't get them, they can't get them there, so they find them on Amazon.com. So that's the beauty of arbitrage; it balances and levels out the the playing field and the product sourcing. Now, if you're there, just you know, window shopping and, and you know, seeing opportunity. Uh, I haven't done this in a long time. I, I I actually used to do arbitrage every now and then, like just as experiments. I probably two years ago during Christmas time probably did like two hundred grand in, in like two months selling like these remote control trucks from Walmart and a bunch of other stuff that was just ridiculous. Like you know, was buying them for thirty bucks and selling for a hundred and ten. I, I almost felt I almost felt bad <laughs> doing it, but I'm like, hey, people are paying for it, and yeah. and and other people um other people um are, are offering it for even more. But anyways, um. How do you how do you check nowadays if something is gated or not? Because obviously that's a mistake. Like, oh yeah, I'm gonna buy ten of these, but then 
you go to list it and it's like, whoops, <laughs> this is a gated category. This is a gated brand or something. Yeah. Uh, we, there's various apps out there, Bradley, that people use. And those apps, when you use mm-hmm. them, you're signed into your Amazon account. And as soon as you sign, uh, scan a barcode, it comes up with green or red telling you if you're gated or not gated. If you're gated, you can push the button and ask to be ungated in it. And probably about uh, a third of the time you will be, two thirds of the time you won't be. If you're not, you put it down and go to the next item. There's several scanning apps out there that are really good, but the scanning app will tell you if you're gated or not. Okay. Um, and and the, doesn't the Amazon Seller Central app do it as well or no? Just yes. it, it by itself. It does. It's just not as clear on it. It's not as, we don't use the Amazon seller app because it doesn't tell ROI and there's various things there that it doesn't tell. It doesn't tell what percentage it is. So yes, it does do, but it doesn't do nowhere near what a scanning app will do. If you're going to do retail arbitrage at all and be serious, you need a professional scanning app and there's several of them out there that do it. Okay, cool. Um, you are your community at all using Helium 10? I'm a Helium 10 member as well. When I was launching my private label brand uh, two and a half years ago, I used Helium 10. So yes, several of us use Helium 10, but normally we use it only on the private label world. There may be an application for it, probably is, in the arbitrage world. I personally don't know. Let let me give you one. I bet you don't know about. Let me have Um, So we developed this actually for the wholesale community, but a lot of the wholesale sellers are in the same boat as as arbitrage. So... um, they, they asked us to develop this, uh, you know, uh, it's a part of our Chrome extension. So they're looking on, on, online yeah. at a listing and, you know, you got 20 people fighting for buy box. I'm assuming that, you know, Correct. some of your arbitrage stuff, you got 10 people fighting for buy box and, and historically it's usually, Hey, you're not fighting with everybody. It's usually the people within like one to 2% That's of correct. that prime buy box. Right. That's correct. So, uh, our on page app, we call it the sales estimator. What we do is we'll take the the actual sales estimate, which is, you know, as you know, in private labels, you know, usually between like five mm-hmm. and twenty percent accurate. You know, it's pretty mm-hmm. pretty close. And then we take a look at how many people are competing for the buy box. And then so without having to do all these calculations, just one click, it'll say, all right, there's eight people fighting for the buy box. The sales in this product is ten thousand dollars a month. That's cool. You're, you would be the ninth. And so this is approximately, you know, if you were to come in at the same price, theoretically, if Amazon's, you know, which yeah. we, nobody has control over, if Amazon's rotating the buy box You're equally, right. this is how much money you could make on this listing. Arbitrage seller could use that, right? Very good. They sure could. Actually, that, uh, I actually have that and I haven't been using that because I'd never thought of how I could use that for arbitrage. That's actually an excellent idea. I'm going to do that. Because awesome, that, awesome. that's a big deal. What we do is we use Keepa and we go down and hit data buy box statistics. And yep. we, we look there and it tells us, you know, if Amazon's sharing the buy box. Because a lot of the arbitrage stuff we're on, Amazon's on the listing as well. So we got to see if Amazon is sharing the buy box or not. If they're not sharing the buy box, we stay off of it. If they are sharing yeah. the buy box, we go in. Okay. Okay. Now, Andy was telling me, I'm not sure if any of y'all do this, but... um. See, why, why am I saying y'all? I don't even, I'm from California. You see, you're rubbing off on me no, no, brother, uh, keep already it up. over it. here. Come on down. <laughs> <laughs> but um, a- uh, Andy was telling me how like there's some people who who do this thing that I never heard of, uh, Amazon to Amazon flips. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anybody in your community doing that? And, oh, and if yeah, so, can yeah, you talk lots. a little bit about that? That's nothing new. That's been, going, like I said, I've been in it six and a half years, soon to be seven years in a couple of months. And people were doing it when I came into it. I do a little of it every year on Q4. Uh, I won't get into the whole thing here about how you do it. We actually have a coaching program that teaches that 
Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is Amazon's price fluctuates up and down. I pulled a thing up here before you and I came on of a listing that I've got. Um, but I assume I can't share the screen to show it. But it, the point is you use Keepa or any source like that, but Keepa is one of the easiest ones to identify buying opportunities. A lot of them are seasonal, like, for example, toys. A lot of people don't know this. There are certain toys now that for five years in a row have been hot every, the same exact toy, same UPC, has been hot every year on Amazon. So what you mm-hmm. do is you watch, and when Amazon has a major price drop in that autumn, you buy that directly from Amazon. Now, many times, Bradley, it's a buy and hold thing, uh, so you don't want to make sure you want to make sure you don't go too deep on it. So this is not yeah. like something you go hundred grand deep on, but you buy those in limited quantities. Sometimes Amazon's wide open; how many they let you buy? Sometimes they're very tight. Now, there are certain procedures that Amazon wants you to follow to do this. Amazon knows people do it, but there are certain things you've got to do to do this. So it's not like something you can just go out here and, you know, there's a couple of mistakes you can make and get in trouble with. But if you do it correctly, there's hundreds of us, venture, I say thousands that do this all the time. I actually know of a person, I don't know them personally, but I know of them. They do several million a year of just Amazon to Amazon flips. So it's you buy from Amazon. See a lot of stores like Best Buy. Whenever Best yeah. Buy runs certain things on sale, if Amazon is also selling that same exact UPC item, Amazon will drop their price and match buy buy and match yeah. Best Buy. So when yeah. Best Buy runs a sale, Amazon drops their price. Best Buy may limit you to one, but Amazon may let you buy nine or ten. Mm-hmm. So you can buy them from Amazon, and then when Amazon sells out then the price goes back up. Now, the key to Amazon flips is you're buying only from Amazon. You're not buying from third-party sellers like me. You're buying yeah. from Amazon whenever the price drastically drops. And again, this is yeah. not a black hat thing. This is mm-hmm. not something that's new. It's been going on for years. People have been doing this for a long time. I like it. And then, you know, you mentioned Keepa graphs. You know, the, the Keepa graphs are also integrated into the Helium 10 Chrome extension. So those of you Helium 10 Chrome extension users, you, you know, go back the 90 days, go back one year, go back all time and take a look That's at the price history That's and things like that. Um, and, and uh, you know, you'll be able to see the, the, the probably that, that remote control truck that I made had yeah. uh, money or Easter, or Easter uh, was probably items, similar. You know, Easter mm-hmm. comes every year in the spring, right? So what happens yep. right after Easter? Things that Amazon has too much supply on, they crash the price on that thing to sell it. Well, there's a ton of people that go on there, buy that stuff. 11 months later, they're selling it. Well, Christmas does the same thing. So does Thanksgiving. So does 4th of July. So there's a lot of people. You, when you think seasonal, you think 12 months. But if you think about it, there's something in season all the time. And all you have to do is simply Mother's Day, Father's Day. All you have to do is know what that is and know how does that apply to where I can buy it right after the season and then simply sell it the next time that season comes back around. That's kind of the the, the crux of how a lot of people do Amazon to Amazon flips. Okay, cool. Uh, I, I like it. Um, are you and your community pretty much near 100% FBA or are there some situations where you, you do the arbitrage, but you fulfill it yourself? You have a, a merchant fulfilled uh, skew. Yeah, we have some people in our group that is so non-FBA, it's not even funny. Almost everything they do is merchant fulfilled. And here's what they're looking for. They're looking for things that are so hot and the price is so high right now that they can buy it and list it on Amazon literally while they're in a checkout line to check out. 
Okay. Now, every Q4 back before COVID hit, and of course, COVID changed the whole world, right? Back before COVID hit, we would have a a group of shoppers on Black Friday, on Thanksgiving night or that Black Friday on uh, on that day. And they would go out. I've went out before after Thanksgiving meal, go out on that uh, Thursday night, buy stuff, already had my SKUs pre-created. And then when I was buying stuff like video games, whatever, things that are really hot, I actually was selling them before I could get them loaded in our uh, vehicle to bring them home and then simply bring them home, put them in the, the package and ship them right out immediately. So MFN provides major opportunity for people that want to buy and ship and act fast. Plus you get, it goes into your account. A lot of times when you sell FBA, which we do predominantly, you have to go through the OFC transfer and it can take you 10 days from the time it leaves your warehouse before it goes live on Amazon. Well, with MFN that or Merchant Fulfill, that's not the case. That stuff, you literally can buy it and sell it today, even ship it today if you get it listed in time. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Um, let's just switch gears a little bit. Talk about your private label business. What inspired you to 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 start your private label? Because obviously you're 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 doing quite well uh, with the arbitrage. Well, it's like anything else. You see these people like yourself and others that are successful private label, and you kind of want to be a part of the club. Okay. And mm-hmm. the elite club. And I stumbled across on the internet, this terrific guy, Andy Slammons. And I'm actually in a coffee line at the Prosper show in Vegas. And there's Andy. And I was a member of his private label course. He's fixing a cup of coffee. I walk up beside him and elbow him and uh, introduce myself. And that was the first time we ever met. So just meeting him and Leron Hirschkorn and other people that successful private label, you meet these people, you see how successful they are. And obviously I get the bug like everybody else does. Now, my thing is we, I love coaching and doing the group work with Amazon Seller Tribe. So my time is plus the insurance thing. I just don't have a lot of time to build a private label out to the large degree like Andy and him recently have. They have just done incredible with theirs, but it's just the whole itch thing of wanting to do something big. Like we've all seen people do with uh, private label. Okay, cool. Um, and then what, what about how, how has that been for you? Like, like, are you, you making more, uh, profit on that? Um, have you had, you know, some hiccups on there due to like well, what's been we, yeah, going on had, the last year with shipping and stuff like oh, that? Oh my gosh. We used to be able to get 40 foot containers from China delivered here in Kentucky. And they would be 6,500 to $7,200 freight from, from uh, China to here. And I think the last one I priced, which was seven or eight months ago was gosh, I don't know, 14,000. And it was just unbelievable. And that was the profit, the, the niche I'm in, uh, the profits there are just probably to be honest with you, Bradley, I got into the wrong niche. It's something that I really enjoyed and I learned a lot from it. And of course we had the brand registry and so on. So I really need to be working on launching some more products within that account because that account's so solid, but mm-hmm. actually no, our, our income and our success there has been minimal compared to what we've been able to do in the arbitrage world. We had the foundation for all of it. I just simply yeah. need to get more creative to find the right niche and product line to be able to make that thing grow. Okay. Now we, we, we have something on this show that we do every time where we ask our, our guests to do a couple, uh, two or three, what we call TST 30 second tips. So, so you, you've been talking about different strategies relating to our arbitrage and things. Um, why don't you give us some, you know, like two or three different, you don't have to, you know, keep it to 30 seconds. It takes you a minute. I'm not going to cut you off, but like two or three strategies, they could be about arbitrage. They could be insurance uh, strategies, you know, since you're an expert in that it could be about anything you want. Uh, I think number one, the most important thing a person can do is be humble. 
because you won't learn anything from people that's smart if they even slightly detect that you're arrogant or that you mm-hmm. think you're smart. The second you approach somebody that is smart and you act smart, they shut down and you won't learn anything from them. So I think number one, stay humble. I'm 59 and I had my teeth kicked in when I was in my early 30s by not being humble. So I've learned it's very important to be humble. So I think that's number one. You won't learn anything from people like yourself, Bradley, or anybody else if you come across like a something, something, because that's that's a real yep, turn off. I important. think number two, relationships. You've got to expose yourself to people that are generous, that sow with an open hand. You know, I'm from the farm, from the country, but you could be from the city and you know the same rule applies. You cannot sow seed in a garden or in a flower pot unless you open that hand. Same thing with raising your children. You can't help your children unless you give money, time, talents to them. So I think you have to sow and you got to get yourself around people that will sow with an open hand so that you can learn. And then as you learn, you know, you said you were fixing to go to the Philippines. Uh, Gay Lisby and I, we support missions in the Philippines to help people that are less fortunate than we are. 10% of everything that we earn from Amazon Seller Tribe goes to support mission work there in the Philippines with food Mm -hmm. and clothing and so on. So I'm a big believer in sewing with an open hand. And I think number three, when you get into arbitrage, it's to understand that whole shallow and wide theory, the whole mutual from approach to everything you do. And if you do that, your income will be steady. It'll be consistent. You won't have the big ups and downs, big ups and downs. You don't have the major PPC expense that you have when you have with private label. So I think some of the expenses there can be mitigated and balanced out when you compare that to private label. And I think it can be a great way, number four, to build you a pot, a nest, as you touched on earlier, about getting you into private label. Because private label is something that a lot of us, including myself, would really want to be successful at. So I think yeah. of all of those that I would share, that number fifth one would be don't feel sorry for yourself. Then when you start feeling sorry for yourself, you limit your creativity. If you say, I'm too short, I'm, I'm too tall, I'm bald, I'm, I'm this skin color, or I'm that gender, or I'm this education. I mean, look at me. I'm not a college-educated person, yet I can hold my own with them all day long. When you start mm-hmm. feeling, I have a crippled right hand. See, I've had five surgeries on this hand. I'm blind in my left eye. But if I go around sucking my thumb, feeling sorry for myself, I'll never be successful at anything. And the more, uh, when my father and uh, my mom and dad were raising me, that's one thing my dad, in essence, beat into me was, son, if if you're ever going to succeed in life, you can't feel sorry for yourself. You've got to trust in God. You've got to trust in family. you got to be a good person. You can't crook people. You can't cheat people. You can't crook or cheat God. And you've got to live right. And if you live a good life and you work hard and you surround yourself with good people and always try, the people I'm from are very common people. I don't come from a money background. I didn't like that growing up. I didn't like not having money. I didn't like, in essence, being poor. So I desired and had ambitions to make a lot of money, but I never wanted to become arrogant or egotistical with that. Because when you do that, you're just setting yourself up to get your teeth kicked in. And we all see the news almost every night where somebody gets too big for the britches, as we'd say down South, and they get taken to the woodshed. And if you're Mm -hmm. going to be really successful as a marathon, you got to not do that. So those would be real quick five things I would rattle off. I love it. I love it. All right. Um, Well, uh, you know, Gary, this has been very, very insightful. You know, we don't talk uh, enough about the different uh, other forms of selling on on Amazon. And it's not we're not trying to like do a 
uh, one way is better than the other way. There, there's plenty of ways to, to, to more than one way to skin a cat. I agree. And um, you know, sometimes it, A helps you to get to B if, if that's your your uh, your goal. And different strokes for different folks. You see, I'm trying I'm trying to come up with my own. Uh, I love it. I, I here. love the whole skin the cat <laughs> thing. I mean, that's definitely a Kentucky <laughs> saying. <laughs> there we go. And so so guys, you know, keep in mind. Maybe it's not for you. Maybe it is. But um, but it, there's a lot of interesting things that can be taken away from this episode, and hopefully. Uh, uh, it can help you out. Now, if people, you know, we only uh, scratch the surface of, of what we can uh, talk about here. Um, but real quick, l- l- let me give you one of my dad's favorite sayings. Uh, it it kind of reminded me of of when you're talking about like being humble and also not thinking that you're, you know, and being genuine and things is um, don't put up a front, you know, people like when, when you're, when you're, you know, making your network and building your network. You know, like don't don't play like you're you're being nice and you're trying to learn this stuff. Um, or as my grandfather used to say, don't pat your the guy on the back while you piss down his leg. Oh, um, is a thing there. Love so that. Uh, absolutely there we go. love that. Love that. <laughs> that is cool. <laughs> there we go. All right. You see, I'm you're rubbing off on me. You're rubbing love off on me. Um, That's cool. Anyway, so so how can they if they want to reach out to you for more information, either to get some more cool sayings or to learn more about arbitrage, uh, how can they find you on the interwebs out there? I think probably the best way to do it is go to Facebook and look for Amazon Seller Tribe. We have a free seven day membership there, and you can get in there and poke around. And we've got hundreds of members there that are all in there sharing together and learning together. And then once you're in Amazon Seller Tribe, that exposes you to the tribe coaching, which we do twice a year. We have hundreds of people that join that where we teach repricers and everything arbitrage related and how to succeed at it. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks a lot, uh, Gary. And maybe we'll reach out to you next year and and see uh, see how 2022 ended up for you. Hey, get down to Kentucky, hook up with me and we'll uh, spend some time and I'll take you down to the National Corvette Museum and we'll look at Corvettes and uh, we'll spend the Give me some Kentucky bourbon too. You got oh, man, it's all over the place here. <laughs> all right. I love it. All right. Well, we'll, we'll talk to you later then. Thanks, brother. See you.